welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 17th of February 2013, entitled, You Must Look, and the Bible reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 45, verses 18 to 25. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. All right, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles this evening for our scripture reading. We'll be looking in, started beginning in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, a very, very simple sermon, simple thought tonight from a simple mind, amen, <laughs> but from a great God, a great book, the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 45, I'd like to read verses 18 through 25. I invite you to stand this evening to honor the reading of God's holy and precious Word. Isaiah chapter 45, beginning in verse 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it, he hath established it, he created it not in vain, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth, I said not unto the seed of Jacob, Seek ye me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, ye that are escaped of the nations. They have no knowledge that set up the wood of their graven image and pray unto a God that cannot save. Tell ye and bring them near. Yea, let them take counsel together who hath declared this from ancient time, who hath told it from that time. Have not I the Lord? And there is no God else beside me, a just God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Verse 22, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say in the Lord, Have I righteousness and strength? Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Father, we thank you again this evening. Lord, we do thank you that we have this place to come into, but Lord, it's not the building that makes it special this evening. We are grateful for that which you have made possible for us. But Father, as we gather here this evening, we are grateful that we can gather, Lord, around your word that we've just read from, your word that has been preserved for us. Lord, that we know that we know that your presence is here with us as you live and dwell within each and every one of your children. And Father, it's that spirit that can take these words and make them alive into our souls, alive into our hearts this evening. Father, I don't know the needs of these that are gathered here, but you know each one. So Father, we stand not because that we deserve to demand anything of you, but, Father, we stand here as your children in great need and knowing that only you, Lord, if anything is to be said or done here this evening that can have 
any lasting and eternal consequences. It must come from you and in your power alone. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, there's certainly a lot of things that we could look at here this evening, but really our thought this evening, if you want a central thought, a central focus, you must look. You must look. In our passage here we find before us, we find that when we began there in verse 18, that God is declaring himself to be who he is, the creator of heaven and earth, the one that formed everything, the one that established everything, and he didn't create it in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. It wasn't put here in this solar system just to look pretty. It was put here to be lived upon by you and I, by those that he created in his very own image. And he declares after reminding us of that fact, I am the Lord and there is none else. I'm the one, the one and only. And of course, he goes on as he's speaking to the nation of Israel here, and he's reminding them of many of these things. He's reminding them of how sure his promises are, his word is. But I want you to focus and notice there, this God, the creator of all that is, the one that established everything, the one is responsible for life and that put it here for you and I to live on. He's the one in verse 22 that said, look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. You see, this evening, you must look. And the first look that you need is you must look unto the Savior. Some would find this that maybe this is a, a little bit confusing. I mean, this is God literally inviting us to be saved, inviting us to salvation. Of course, we know that we live in a world where religious and non-religious alike many times have a very theologically incorrect view of God and who he is. They think of all kinds of things, some power, some entity, some something. He is God. And of course, some of them think that he's some kind of a big ogre that's just sitting up there grinning and saying, ho, 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 can't wait to the judgment day. I'm really going to let you have it then. That's not the God I see. This is the God that created everything that is, that put it here for us, and he's the one that here is inviting us, come unto me, look unto me, and be ye saved. Some might say, well, that was an Old Testament verse. We find that as we move into the New Testament, now listen, here's God, the creator that says to look unto him and be saved. And then we, we get into the gospel of John chapter 1. And we find that John had something to say about creation as well. You see, we find that John said in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, 
And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness. To bear witness of the light. That all men through him, through the light, might believe. He, John, was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He, Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which was born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We find that the Bible then tells us about this one called John the Baptist, but notice what he says down in verse 18. Now remember, God, the creator of all that exists. Back in Isaiah, he invites all. He lit literally to the ends of the world to look unto him and to be saved. We find that he said he was the only God. We find in John 1, he's talking about that same God, the creator, the existence of all that was. The word and that word becoming flesh and, and dwelling amongst us. Verse 18 said, no man hath seen God at any time. God said, look unto me and be ye saved. But then the Bible says, no man has seen God at any time. How can that be? How can a God, is God making some kind of a mockery here? Is he on the one hand saying, look unto me and be saved, and yet by the same token, the same Bible tells us that no man has seen God at any time. But thank God the verse didn't stop there. <laughs> the only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him, praise God. You see, it was the God of creation, the same God that made that promise back to the prophet Isaiah, that same God that said he created all and everything that was there for us to be inhabited, that was the same God that already had the plan laid for those inhabitants of that earth, that same God, that word that became flesh and dwelt amongst us, that same one that we can. Look unto God. There is only one way of salvation. That's looking unto God. But the Bible also says in the New Testament, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. You see, folks, Jesus was God. And we live in a, you know, many of us, I, I had somebody come up to me after the service this morning saying, you know, how, really frustrated, how do I witness to these Muslims? 
You know, how do I with how can I how can I share with them the truth? Because it seems like that everything that I go at, they they they, they take and twist it so much and they, they say that, you know, that all is God and they go through all these things and whatnot, and I said, I know. <laughs> You know, when we're out in the open air and we're witnessing and we're ministering to people, we have more of them that come up and are willing to talk to us about the Bible than those that are of no faith. <laughs> and of course, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It's not what we say that's going to save anyone. It is the Word of God. But the devil has blinded the eyes of them. And the simple truth is those blinders are on. They're so totally convinced that the Word of God, the only thing that can save their souls, the only truth that can lead them to freedom, they're convinced that it's corrupted. They're convinced that in John chapter 14, when Jesus, this same Jesus, when he was getting ready to leave this earth and he promised to send that comforter, that paraclete, that, that one to come alongside us when he was leaving until he came for us again, they think that was Muhammad, that our Bibles have just gotten corrupted to make it sound like it's the Holy Spirit. You see, the truth is, is the devil's very good at his job. In that same John chapter 14, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's Bible. That's God's Word. You see, this evening, you must look. God said, look unto me. Look unto me, and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Yes, that's in the Old Testament. <laughs> that's the same promise that's to us, that's through us right through the Bible. That's why God created us. That's why God put us here. That's why he came in the flesh. That's why he died upon the cross. That's why he shed his blood. That's why he rose the third day, praise God, victorious over death, victorious over hell, victorious over the grave. Because he was a propitiation, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. The sacrifice was sufficient. The truth is, is it just as we just read here? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The truth is, is that more than not, reject him. You see, we could look at many passages. Look just a, a few pages over. In the Gospel of John, chapter 4, we read of an account here, beginning down in verse 46. It says, So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him, besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. For the nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down, ere my child die. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. As he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth. And 
himself believed, and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea and to Galilee. You see, we've talked about it. We've talked about it in our series when we've been talking about the ministry of witness the last few weeks. Folks, we can't make people believe. But this promise is to all. The very first look, the most important look in our life is looking unto the Savior. That look of salvation, it is a test of one's faith. Jesus has invited us to God. Do we believe him? Do we believe that he'll keep his promise? Do we believe that he will save us, that he will forgive us for our sins? There was a young teenage lad, 15 years old he was. He was in the city of London, and there was a snowstorm that had come upon the city. And I'm sure you've heard this story before, but I don't care. I'm going to tell it again because I love it. The snow was so bad that he gave up where he was going, and he went into this little Methodist chapel because he had heard some hymns being sung. And so he had gone in there, and he had went into the back, and as he came there, we find that even the preacher hadn't been able to make it that day because the weather was so bad. And there was an elderly deacon that stepped into the pulpit. He didn't have any choice because the pastor wasn't there and somebody had to do it. And he, he knew that he wasn't much of a speaker and he certainly was no preacher. He got up there and he reached down the very depths of his soul and he read this book. This is here from Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. He pointed his finger. We, sometimes we say, you know, we really have to be careful. We're going to offend somebody. I mean, we start talking about people having sins and needing to be saved and having to do it this way. He pointed his finger right at that young man. <laughs> young man, he said, you need to turn to Jesus and allow him to take away your sins and to save your soul. This young man didn't really know. I mean, this guy's pointing his finger right at him, telling him that he needs to have his sins taken care of. Simple truth was that verse, <laughs> look unto me. And be ye saved. And that old deacon pointing his finger at that young man and saying, Young man, you need to be saved. You need to turn to Jesus. And that day, that young 15 year old lad did. That young lad's name was Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, at 15 years old, I tell you a lot of things. I, I, I love it. You know, I guess this is part of, I have to let a little bit of my Baptist come out when. Charles Haddon Spurgeon then moved up to Anglia, and he, he wrote his mom a letter. Now, Mr. Spurgeon's dad and grandfather were both congregational ministers, and he had spent you know, much of his childhood in the, the library of his grandfather just reading and, and looking through all of those books and everything. He'd been brought up with all of this religion, and his mom apparently had been praying for him for years that he would be saved. He wrote his mom a letter, and he told her about getting saved. 
He also told her about not only getting saved, but following the Lord in obedience of baptism. He had gotten baptized just too. His mom wrote him a letter back. So Charles said, I've been praying for you for years to get saved, but I never one time prayed that you'd become a Baptist. <laughs> he wrote his mom back. He said, Mom, that's just like God. He always gives you exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or think. You know? <laughs> Mr. Spurgeon, he went on as that young preacher to begin to preach God's word. The first time he preached, <laughs> he was tricked into it. He didn't even know he was preaching. It was like... A, a, a prayer meeting in a, in a little town where they used to go out, these, these young men, and, and the church would send them out, and they would go into these little villages and preach and whatnot. And we used to call them, where I come from, cottage prayer meetings, where you go into the, into the homes of people and whatnot. And suddenly he got there one day, and he thought the other guy was preaching. The other guy looked to him to start preaching, and that's when he found out he was going to preach, and that's when he preached his first message. <laughs> he didn't have the world's theological training but became known as the Prince of Preachers because of God's hand upon him. That simple verse, look unto me and be ye saved. You see, the truth is today, folks, we can, we can come up with all the, I guess, the, the, the programs and the ways and the means. Too many people are trying to figure out how they can coerce people and trick people into becoming a Christian. Simple truth is, all have sinned. God said, look unto me and be ye saved. That look, no, we haven't seen God the Father, but he's allowed us to see him through his son, Jesus Christ. That's where we've got to look today. That same God that honored that promise when he saved Char Charles Haddon Spurgeon, that same God will honor that promise today to you. You see, I want to give you another couple of looks real quick. You must look. You must look into the Savior. Then I want to tell you something else. As Christians, I remember Antonio told me a little bit of his testimony, and he was sharing with me how that uh, after he got saved, he didn't know any better. And he goes out on the street, and he starts telling these people all about what, what God's done for them, what God will do for them. And next thing he knows, there's like three other people that have given their hearts to the Lord, and Everybody thinks this guy's flipped out. Something's gone wrong with him. You know, he was just excited. Man, if, if God's done this for me, I want to share it with somebody else. I want somebody else to do it. He said sometimes at the CU there at the university, they think he's a little over-enthusiastic. Don't worry, brother. They always think that when I'm preaching too, you know. Why, why, why do you act that way? I, God knew what he was getting when he got me. You know, I can't help it, folks. It's just me. <laughs> Truth is, is that not only must we look unto the Savior, but we're to look on the sinners. What do you mean, preacher? Well, just again, another simple verse from, from Scripture. You find it here in the Gospel of John, also in John chapter 4. And notice in verse 35, Jesus says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. You think it's four months yet before harvest time? I'm saying lift up your eyes and look on the harvest. That harvest that he's talking about there, folks, 
It's the harvest of mankind, all of those that are without Christ. Look at the harvest. Look at all of them. They're white already to harvest. That was the, the last stage when it was ready to be harvested, when that, that wheat would start getting the white on it. He says, look at it. Don't wait four months. Look onto the fields. That's the same command that's given to us. Antonio, don't lose the zeal for sharing what Jesus has done to you. The sad thing is we live in a day when there's not a lot of zeal to tell others about Jesus. And some people may be getting tired. I mean, you know, we've been talking about the ministry of witness for the last few weeks, and we're still not finished yet. There's no apologies for that. Folks, if we're not, if we're not being a witness, if Jesus Christ isn't being seen, we're not, doing, we're not doing anything that is supposed to make us a Christian, and it's certainly not the purpose of a New Testament church. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. What makes it more amazing is the context in which this verse is given. You see, Jesus has just got through doing a wonderful thing in this Samaritan woman's life that was in desperate need of salvation. He also knew that the town that she came from was full of people that didn't know Christ. Jesus simply ministered the gospel to that Samaritan woman. Jews didn't have any dealings with Samaritans. <laughs> they took the long way around when they were going through Jerusalem, going to Jerusalem through Samaria. They wanted to avoid meeting them. They wouldn't even speak to them unless they were forced to. So when Jesus Christ, this Jew, won this Samaritan woman, she went back into the village, and the next thing you know, she's got another bunch of people, and she brings them to, to hear this one that's told her everything that she's ever done. He knew my whole life inside and out. He knew everything about me. She said, nobody but God could have known a lot of those things about me. Nobody knows you like God knows you. And you know, the amazing thing is he can know all those things about you and still love you so much. He couldn't love you more. There's nothing in your life that you could or could not have done to make God love you more or to make God love you less. He loves you unconditionally, totally, completely, just as he did this Samaritan woman. You find out that Jesus is saying to us, we've talked about this, and so I'm not going to dwell there. We talked about a few weeks back when we're leading up to the whole purpose of the ministry of witness. We talked about all those different things that I, I started with a C to hopefully help you remember them, that it was crucial, that it was central, that it was commanded. We talked about that it was compassionate. We talked about Jesus. It wasn't just some little emotional thing that got him fired up for a day or a week. He hurt to his innermost parts. Matter of fact, they struggled when they translated our Bibles and they used that word because it spoke of the innards of an animal or something, you know. You know, we use these graphic things like, like sometimes that, that I mentioned that, you know, having enough guts to do something. The simple thing is, is the word that's used there Speaking of the compassion is showing us that Jesus hurt inside himself when he looked upon the multitudes and he saw them like sheep without a shepherd. 
That same Jesus, he's telling us, first of all and foremost, we need to look into him. We need to look into the Savior that we might be saved. But then he wants us to look on the sinners and recognize that there's a multitude of folks out there. That's what you're supposed to do, by the way, Antonio. <laughs> That's what they did in the Bible. <laughs> Funny enough, when somebody got saved in there, you find them rejoicing, just like her, wanting to go back and tell the whole town and village, excited about what Jesus had done for her. But I'll tell you something else. Some don't have it in the beginning, but sadly, I read something here a while back, which, first of all, it shocked me, but then when I thought about it, I said, well, it's probably, and you know, statistics, you don't even know where they get them from a lot of times, but but I read that the average Christian, then in the first three years of their Christian life, they win more people to Christ than the rest of their Christian life put together because they just kind of fizzle out. They don't know any better in the beginning. They're just excited. They want to share with people what's happened in their lives. But then they try to get so theologically correct that they lose all that zeal. Folks, we must look. We must look unto the Savior. We must look unto the sinners and recognize that all we can do is be a witness. But I want to give you one third one in closing. James chapter 1, verses 25 to 27. Word of God says this, But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain, pure religion, and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. In other words, folks, if you'll allow me to paraphrase in Larry's paraphrased version, the simple truth is this. You can hear it, you can know it, you can know all about it and everything, but he says, Pure and undefiled is when you go out there and do something with it. Looking into the perfect law of liberty. You see, we must look unto the Savior. And we must look on the sinners. But all the desperate need today to look into the Scriptures. We've got it all figured out, folks. But he says that it's looking into the Scriptures. This is what will change our lives. It's a book not just to be known, but a book to be lived. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful fear, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. See, in some ways God's Word is like a mirror. It'll allow you to see what you really look like. <laughs> sometimes we don't like what we see. I got news for you. Sometimes I, sometimes I look in the mirror at home and I don't like what I see physically. Sometimes when we look into the spiritual mirror, we don't like what we see. thing is, when you look in that mirror, how would you ever know that your hair was a mess if you didn't look in there and see it? Ladies, how would you know that that 
mascara was running or that rouge was smudged or whatever else. You know, everybody else could see it, but you. So many times in our lives, people around us, they can see us. We're a walking testimony of something. How do we see ourselves? The Word of God. We need to look into the Scriptures. We need to look at the mirror. Romans chapter 2, verses 15 and 16 says, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Listen, one day when we stand before God, he's not going to judge you based upon whether you listen to what I said to you or not. He's not going to judge you based upon what the Baptist or the Anglican or the Pentecostal or the Methodist or that whole list of them all down through there, what they said. What he's going to judge you on is what he said and what you did with it. Now, thank God. Listen, if we have made that first look. We must look unto the Savior. If we've done that, if we've looked unto him, he's promised that he'll save us. He will. If we look on those around us that are lost, that need to be saved, and we share that and we allow Christ to be seen in our lives. But folks, if, if our lives are going to amount to anything while we're here, it's God's perfect law. And when God gets down to the end of our days, when we stand before him, if we've made that first look, thank God. Thank God we won't be being judged at the great white throne of judgment. But that's what they'll be judged from, God's word. Thank God we'll be at a different judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. We won't be being judged for whether we're saved or not because only the saved will be there. But he says... He says we will give an account for the things done in this life, both good and bad. You know, the simple truth is, is that what we're doing now is making a big difference in eternity. We can either be investing in the spiritual, or we can be investing our lives in the temporal down here. We can be investing in the eternal. Do you remember that we read also there in Isaiah that every knee would bow before that one God. You know, we've talked about that a lot recently. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no question about that. The simple truth is, is that if we'll confess him now, if we'll look to him now, we can be saved. One day they're going to all know who he is. We need to look into the scriptures that our lives can be lived according to his plan, his word, what he wants. Sometimes that's frightening because we look into the scripture, that's where the whole process of sanctification, of cleansing, of being changed into his image, that's where it comes from. So many times we see the people around us begin to think, well, you know, man, I'm as good as those people down there at that church. <laughs> I treat people better than a lot of them do. I'm more honest than a lot of them are. As Christians, we can look around and we say, well, oh, 
Man, that other church down there, they don't support as many missionaries as we do. They don't go out on the streets as much as we do. They don't give out as many tracts as we do. They don't knock on as many doors as we do. We can get ourselves feeling better because there's always somebody that we can compare ourselves against that we can make ourselves feel better. And that's what people like to do, not feel so bad. Well, truth is, God's not going to judge us on how we compared with anybody else. He's going to judge us on what he's given us to do in his word. Sometimes we're really shocked. People that we hold in very high regard. People that we maybe have a lot of respect for. People that we've seen given them themselves and given to others and do all kinds of good and good things. And we think, you know, surely they're all right. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29 says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and it beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand and the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as scribes. A lot of people's lives are built upon a lot of good things. And maybe they do a lot of good things. A lot of people's lives are even built upon the fact they might be able to quote that book from cover to cover and they know it. Jesus is giving us a very simple illustration here. And the greatest illustrations that I love in the world are the ones that come straight out of the Word of God. You see... That person that built his house, and it stood the storms. It stood the test of times. And let's face it, the storms in this life can get, they can really blow hard sometimes, can't they? They can be tough to get through. And the sad thing is sometimes we see people falling. People we never thought would fall because, man, they knew, they knew that Bible better than I did. and Maybe they did. But he's saying knowing it is not what's going to make you strong. Living it. He's living it. Not just being hearers, but being doers. We can know it all and still live our life and build our life upon all these things that we do. He says you want to stand against the storms. You want to be able to be there when it all comes. Don't just know it. Yes, we've got to look into it. But it's got to be applied. It's meant to be lived. We get that so wrong. We can read it. We can memorize it. We can know it. And all those things are good. But if it's not applied, if we don't live it, it's not going to accomplish that. that was, you can know to do something all your life. But if you don't do it, you know, the Bible teaches us that even the very angels of hell, the demons, Satan's angels, even they believe who Jesus is. They know and they tremble, but they're not going to heaven. 
People can know a lot. But that's a big difference than being a doer. Folks, today, there's some things that we've got to look at. There's some things we must look at. And the first one is that we must look unto the Savior. And then we must look on the sinners that need to be saved. But then we must look into the Scriptures. Yes, that's what will save the other souls, but that's what will make us strong. That's what will make us stand. That's what will help us to stand. That's what will get us through the tough time, applying God's Word, living God's Word. Yes, it's tough sometimes. Yes, people will think you're weird sometimes. Yes, you might be the oddball on the whole street. You might be the oddball in the whole town. Well, I've always been an oddball, so <laughs> come live next to me and we can both be oddballs. Amen. <laughs> Truth is, is that this book will change your life. You will live different if it's applied. You will be different from the world around you. There's a lot of things, but I want to give you, I want to give you this in closing this evening. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 says, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing. The one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's what the Lord wants. You see, I look here this evening, as far as I know, you're all saved. You're all born again. You all know the Lord Jesus Christ. But only you and God really know that. I want to say to you this evening, I don't care if there's a smidgen of doubt. Come to me. Let's take God's word. Let's figure out what that smidgen of doubt is. Don't give the devil room to get his foot in there. Why? Because salvation is based upon God's word and applying God's word. That's, you know, I love it. I love it when we've talked about, you know, that, that great passage where that... Uh, that Jesus said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. <laughs> it's funny how, you know, we just happen to be going through that. And then uh, this Muslim sends me uh, an email, one that some of you would know. And he's, he's trying to prove a point from the Bible that Jesus was just a prophet. Because there, when Jesus was with his followers, with his disciples that day, he asked them a question. He said, who do men say that I am? Some say you're a prophet. Some think you're Moses. Some think you're Elijah. Okay, so some of these people think I'm only, who do you say that I am? Peter spoke up. You are the Christ. <laughs> you're the Christ, the son of the living God. What did Jesus say back to him? Peter, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father which is in heaven. He's shown you this. And then he goes on. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prove. Peter, Peter, you're just, you, you just a, little, a little tiny pebble, a little stone. But upon this rock, upon this, this rock, what this stone, this rock, this that God has just revealed to you that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. That truth is what I'll build my church upon. Today, 
You've got to know. You see, your feelings can change. Your religious experiences can be all over the place. God's word is constant, and it's the application of God's word. I fought that battle for a number of years. Even after I started preaching, I fought that battle. Some of you know I've shared my testimony. I mean, I mean, one day I'd been preaching that night, and I'd literally I'd got up, and it was a it was a big congregation. I'd preached my heart out, and and people had come forward to be saved. And I'm driving back down the road, and there's the old devil. <laughs> yeah, you told them how to get saved. You don't even know for sure you're saved. I know one thing. I pulled the car beside the road that night because I'd fought that battle too many times, and it wasn't going anywhere else until this thing was settled. You know what settled it that night? There was nothing else I could do because I was just trusting in what God had done. I knew. Oh, I, I knew I didn't deserve it, and I knew I had my own faults and all this, but I knew. I knew everything within my heart that there was only one hope of my salvation, and that was what Jesus had done because there was no hope in me. And you see, the thing that changed beside that road that night wasn't based upon what I deserved, what I didn't, and how good I'd become, and how bad I hadn't, and what I thought, and what I did. It was based upon what he had done for me, what he had promised me in his word. Today, your salvation is not some religious experience. It's not based upon some prayer that you pray. It's not pray based upon some act that you perform. It's based upon you humbling yourself before a holy God, knowing there's only one condition alone that he'll save you and forgive you and redeem you from your sins. That's because of what Jesus Christ did for you. And if you don't know that this evening, I pray. I pray, just as that simple verse said to Charles Haddon Spurgeon all those years ago, look unto me and be ye saved. All the ends of the world includes you tonight. You must look into Jesus. You must look into the Savior. And Christians, I'm saying to you, I don't apologize. God help us as Christians. God help us as a church. We need to be looking to those sinners. We need to be looking, lifting up our eyes and looking on the fields. They're wide already to harvest. People all around us that need to be saved. And what are we doing about it? Let's get serious. Let's not worry about what everybody else thinks and getting along with all this and that and the other. Let's worry about bringing men to Christ. Look on those fields. Thirdly, we need to look into the Scriptures. We need to look into God's Word. Let it show us. Let it reflect to us who we are, what we are, where we are. Help us, God, not just to know it, but to live it, to apply it. Our whole life based upon it. Our salvation and everything that we do have based upon the Word of God, upon His promises, upon what He wants for us. That's the way we'll stand the test of time. That's the way that we'll be able to stand against all the battles that come against us. By looking into the Scriptures. By looking into His Word. And applying that and living accordingly. It'll change your life. Do more than just... Know it. Do more than just read it. Live it, praise God. Father, we thank you this evening, Lord. We know that this is a, such a simple thought. Don't know why that, uh, Lord, you certainly impressed it upon our hearts that this is what you wanted us to speak on this evening. You knew who would be here. You know what the needs are. I pray, Lord, that you take and help us this evening. Help us to take and apply these words to our hearts. Show us wherever it is in this, Lord. 
or the, the look that we need to be taking this evening, what we must be looking at because nobody else can do this for us. Lord, I pray that you would work, and if there be anyone here that's not truly born again, allow them to see that by the power of your Spirit. Lord, for each and every Christian, I pray, Lord, that you would just help to encourage us. Lord, that this is your perfect law of liberty. This is, Lord, what can help us to build our lives in a way to where that it can stand against all of the storms that may come against us. There may be those crumbling all around us that have all kind of knowledge, but it's not been applied. Help us to build our lives upon the book. Help us to live our lives by the book. Help us to go out and show others the Jesus Christ that changed our lives, that saved us, that he'll do the same for them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.